Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. And in this session, we're going to be chatting with Adam Franklin from Blue Wire Media. Now, I've known Adam for quite some time. We've been to different workshops and conferences together. We've spoken on the same stage. And uh, yeah, he, he just knows his stuff. He's a best-selling author. He's got a book called Web Marketing That Works, which was published by Wiley & Sons. Very well covered in the media as well. You'll hear him on radio. You'll see him on business blogs, in the news. And I think part of the reason why he just gets so much coverage is because he lives and breathes social media, content marketing, and inbound marketing. What I love most about him, not only is he a straight shooter as well, he's just a systems thinker. If you head over to his website, you'll see one of the lead magnets that he's got right on his homepage is 33 templates that you can use for digital agencies to market themselves better. So he's always been thinking about systems and processes. And, and we talked for the longest time about doing something together. So I almost feel like the Business Systems Summit is a great place to start. And then we'll just kind of see where we go from there. So first of all, just like to welcome you to the session, Adam. Thank you for having me, Dave. It's a real pleasure. And as we were speaking about earlier, we both love systems. So I'm looking forward to sharing some of the stuff that we've spent over a decade sort of putting together, particularly when it comes to attracting and retaining people in an agency. Which I think is a topic you've not talked about too publicly. It's stuff that you do internally because a lot of the stuff you deal with as well as around the marketing side of things. So I love it when someone peels back the curtain a little bit and kind of shows us a system and process that's going on behind the scenes. So I'll let you drive and then if it's all right, I'll just chime in if I've got any questions and we'll go from there. That sounds great, Dave. So basically, look, Blue Wire was an agency for probably eight years. In the last three to four years since the book's come out, we've transitioned from doing the work to teaching it. So our business for the first eight years was hiring and retaining A players. And we developed systems and processes and actually reached the ISO 9001 uh, quality assurance certification. So we wanted some way that we could not only demonstrate to clients that we had uh, good quality systems and processes, but we wanted these processes so we could attract and retain and hire the A players in the marketplace. So now what we're doing is sh this is the first sort of step to sharing a lot of these internal systems that are going to help uh, people who are looking to either build a team internally, like a CMO building a team internally, or an agency owner looking to attract, hire, and retain the A players. So there's lots of there's lots of depth we can go into, Dave. But I've got all my notes here, so I just want to take you through some of the things that we would do when we were looking to attract A players. Now, the first thing I guess to keep in mind is that very often. A players are already well looked after. They're very seldom trawling job boards, hunting for jobs. That's often your B and C players. And yes, you can put jobs on job boards. You will get lots of applications and that can chew up lots of time. And there's techniques for 
doing this effectively that I'll share with you in this in this workshop. But it's worth noting that A players, yes, they're, they're already well looked after typically, so they're not on the lookout for other jobs. If they are, they're being headhunted because they've been identified as A players or their future A players, as in they don't really know it yet, but you can see it as an agency owner or as a manager and you want to nurture those people into your organisation. So typically those are interns. So there's a few techniques and the process that I'll, that I'll take you through. And the other thing to keep in mind too is that A players are often attracted to organisations they know about and A players ask their friends who are A players and A players refer their friends who are A players. So rather than just throwing this stuff out into the massive marketplace and hoping A players apply, it's a lot more strategic and effective to actually cultivate a community or a network of A players where they're working with you or getting to know their friends or going to the appropriate sort of meetups and whatever else. So let's start talking procedures and systems. So assuming that you do have a job available, and if not, you should always be on the lookout for A players because often you can make a role for them. They'll prove themselves to be invaluable. And either way, you want to be taking people through this process. Now, we were getting about 10 unsolicited applications a week, whether it was for like copywriting work or web development work or graphic design work. So we put people through this process. And it actually meant that we very rarely had to advertise broadly. We had people coming in to this, this system that I'm about to explain to you. So basically, for each of the roles within our organization, we would create a job advert or what we would call a job scorecard. Now, what that was was basically a description of the role, a description also of what type of person would be most appropriate for the role. And we were very clear about our core values as an organization because what we found is that technical skills are great but cultural alignment is even more important. So a lot of the questions, sorry, a lot of the descriptions that we would use in our job ads or our job scorecards were based around our five core values. Now, uncovering your core values is a topic for another discussion, but assuming you have core values, then, or if you don't, you don't have to do that, but we just found it very valuable. But putting a description of the job and what it entails and the type of person that would be a good match for it and also a bit about your organisation. So what you'd do is you would publish that, whether it's on your website or email or PDF or whatever else. And that's step one. So there's, there's 10 steps here in this, in this attraction and hiring process. So that's number one. And just chime in whenever you've got some questions, yeah. Dave, but I'll, no, I'll keep no. going and let's hear from you. And one or two of these, um, we might be able to get a couple of supporting notes from you afterwards as well. I don't know if, if you'd have a, a, a job ad or something like that you'd be happy to share. Um, or Absolutely. Yeah, perfect, because I think that would really yeah. kind of round it out. But step one, yeah, I think writing it, getting clear on who you're looking to attract and then writing something that's going to attract them in, that's, yeah, perfect first step. Yeah, so the types of questions we'd ask is obviously their personal details. We were big on asking if they had a blog, what their Twitter handle is, their LinkedIn and their YouTube, because that way we could actually look them up online. And, you know, if, yeah. you, if you're going into that sort of world, it, you know, a lot of the time your digital presence or your digital footprint is a really powerful tool. So, so, so was that, that those up. questions, were they listed in the job ad? 
Oh, sorry. No, I've, I've jumped. To, I've jumped to part two. No, yep. I'm talking about the job application form now. Yep. No, I'll give examples of the job ad, but next step, yes, yeah, step number two, the job application form. And so, in this step, would basically say, you know, why would you fill out this application? Basically, so you can get a feel for whether blue wire is the right fit for you, so that you'll be able to demonstrate your true talents and to really outline what's in it for them as well, because. Obviously, attracting A players, it's kind of a two-way street. It's not, they're going to have lots of job offers. They're going to have lots of people who want to hire them. So you've actually got to put your best foot forward as an employer as well. So that's stuff that we are always conscious of demonstrating to people applying. So in the job application process, and I can, I can share the, the documents here, Dave, so that's all available. But yeah, ask me for social media links. We outline or we ask you, are you able to travel when, back when we worked out of an office before we were an, a distributed team? You know, we'd, we'd ask, are they prepared to wear certain attire to work? Are they prepared to make it into the office? And then they'd basically let us know which area of interest they had. So whether they were a designer, developer, strategic consultant, copywriter, or more in sales and marketing. So these are the questions that we would go through and then we would ask, how did you find out about us? Because that way we can see where the good people found us. And typically it would be um, referrals from a friend or maybe they'd heard about us already. So we'd go through what type of work they're looking for and basically then the questioning aligned to our core values. So it's basically five questions and see for us, we had the first core value of being a trusted advisor. So we'd say, please describe the level at which you consider yourself a trusted advisor. And there'd be a graduate level, an intermediate level, an advanced level, and an industry expert level. And so basically the applicants got the opportunity to tick off and demonstrate where they felt they were in terms of those different levels. And so as you'll see in the example that, that, we'll, that we'll share as a, as a download, for each of our core values like communication or devoted communication, I should say, strategy plus execution is another core value. So we get people to describe the level at which they feel they're at, graduate, intermediate, advanced or industry expert. So for each of our core values, they got to basically, they could put forward where they felt they were at. And at the end of the job application form, once we'd asked those five questions, we had the dream career question. If you had a magic wand, what would your dream career be? One year, five years, 10 years, 20 years time. This was a great question to ask because you'd really learn from the applicant where they saw their career going. You know, if it was a magic wand situation, above and beyond just working, you know, for the next year or two or five with, with your organization, it was really eye-opening. And then finally, not finally, except penultimately, tell us about yourself. What do you love to do? What are your interests? Have you got salary expectations and are there any additional comments? And so that's the process we, that people took. And that particular one, is that just something that was loaded into like a SurveyMonkey or, you know, Google Forms or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. We used SurveyMonkey for a bit. Um, we used Google Forms and we also had it as a PDF document just on file as part of our systems and processes for that quality assurance accreditation. Yeah. But yeah, they would just go online and fill that out. Perfect. Yeah. 
So look, then we're basically, that's step two. Then we basically explain to the candidate what the next steps are, which is a, a competency exam. And that step three is, a, is an exam. So basically assess their competency. So whether they're a copywriter or, yeah, here you go. And is, is that something that would get given to every person who sends through an applicant or would you do some pre-screening from when the you know, application came through and then you'd make your selection as to who would then go to that next step? Yes, absolutely. So we'd screen yeah. them um, from the application form. Most people would tend to just tend to go through unless there's some big red flags. I mean, yep. we'd like to give people the opportunity to, to shine. Yep. So most would do the exam and we explain to the, the applicants that the exam would normally take about 30 minutes and it can be done at their convenience. So there's no sort of high pressure environment, but it's really useful to see how they would actually respond to, well, how, how they would actually approach things. And yeah. me being a non-technical founder and Toby, my co-founder as well, is non-technical. So we really needed to make sure that people were at a certain competency level and that's why the exams were so useful because we have proficient technical people set the exam and mark the exam so that it was evident how competent they were because otherwise Tobes and I wouldn't really know how good their HTML was or how good their Photoshop skills were without actually um, having these exams. So we found that really effective. And basically what we would often set as an exam would be a part of a real project or part of a project that we'd worked on in the past. So the developers might be put in charge to you know, design something or what would you do in this situation so we could see how closely that resembled how our existing developers or designers or whatever would do it. So after the exam, that's step three. So we've got the job ad, the job application form, the exam. The in, for, for interns, it was, it was very much the same process. So we would take people applying for paid jobs and interns applying for work experience, very much the same process. Then we would look at these exams and those people that had actually passed, we would then actually have a phone call with them. So this was kind of what we call a screening call. And in this, our office manager, our team support, she would call up the applicants and basically have a chat to them to try and essentially weed out the people who weren't the A players so that by the time mm -hmm. they came in for the cultural interview, they were good quality. Because if you spend, you know, an interview might take an hour, sometimes a lot longer. And if you've got a lot of poorer quality people, it's going to chew up a heap of time. So, so we introduced this screening call as an additional step um, once we realised, you know, that the volume of applications was quite high. So basically, Angela just, and Angela's non-technical as well. She was really asking the questions like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And most top performers or most A players they can speak very confidently about their strengths and they're very clear about their weaknesses as well. And so just asking those two questions from a non-technical person who runs the office, they could really work out the types of responses that were, that were aligned to people being A players. The best question to ask that we always asked was, what will your previous bosses and references say when we call them? Okay, so it's called the threat of <laughs> the threat yeah. of reference check, and it's it's from a very good book called Who, where they talk about the top grading process. And again, you 
should always do the reference checks. And when you ask that question, A players are going to be very clear on what their boss and what their references are going to say about them. And again, that really helps you determine who the A players are. Then, of course, you do actually have to follow up and, and do the reference checks, not only with the references that they put on the application, but ideally looking up their previous bosses or um, partners on projects and, and asking them what it was like to work with them and et cetera, et cetera. So you're getting a fairly non-biased view of what they're actually like to work with. So that um, pre-screening call, that's relatively short call or, or what sort of duration would something like that? Look, it is typically very short. It's amazing how quickly you can tell from a phone conversation whether they're going to be a cultural fit and also their level of competence. No, not a technical level of competence, but I guess the ability to talk confidently about their strengths and weaknesses Yep, and that thread of reference question. So typically, Andrew would be on the phone maybe for... She'd kind of know in the first five minutes, yeah. often the conversation would go to 10 or 15 and those that were unsuccessful went down a certain path and those that were successful then got booked in pending the reference check. So yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't take long. So five or 10 minutes compared to, you know, like 45 minutes times maybe two directors time, you know, we've saved yeah. that just by having a conversation on the phone or, Yeah. The key here is as well, this is um, depending on the role, um, you would, uh, if something's a little bit more senior, you can go a little bit deeper on each one of these things. And like you said, following up with the reference checks, the length of that pre-screening call, the types of questions that need to get asked to test their technical competencies or giving them trial tasks. So it's like you're giving a good framework and then depending on what the role would need. But the whole aim of the game really is to try and make sure that we take as many of the tyre kickers out before the directors, you know, when you and Toby would sit down to interview them so your time was well spent as opposed to booking up, you know, two days back-to-back of interviews. But then sometimes you'll sit down with someone and you can tell within the first five minutes, you're like, you're not the right fit. But now that we've kind of booked you in for 45 an hour interview, I kind of feel like we need to at least let it go 20 minutes. Otherwise, you know, I can't kick you out right now. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, love this process. Yeah, so it's good because because you can weed out most of the tyre kickers and focus on your A players, you can spend more time with the handful of A players to work out who is the best candidate for the job. And yep. that's really valuable because, well, the next step is, is actually checking the references. So the office manager would call up the references, double-check that they're all okay. Assuming that worked out all right, only then would, and that would weed out 90% of the people. So only then would what we call the cultural interview, the meeting with Toby and myself, that would be the next step. You see, we've weirded out 90% by then. So in that yeah. cultural interview, because Tobes and I were non-technical, we weren't talking to them about HTML or JavaScript or PHP or anything else. What we were looking to do is see if we could uncover and see evidence of them having the blue wire core values. So we've done a lot of work with core values, but basically you can't impose your values on people. You're kind of looking for people that already have them. So we'd basically talk to them in greater detail about the question we'd ask in that original job application form, like talk to us about how 
well you ha- how you see yourself as a trusted advisor or demonstrate your um you know de- your devoted communication and if they could explain stuff to us and we could understand it particularly if it was technical well that was a really good a really good sign so Tobes and I would typically speak to them for about 20 minutes it would have a structure loosely as I said around those um, original questions and just getting them to explain it to us in person we would have a very good feel but there was no technical questions because we're not technical so that was the cult what we call the cultural interview and then finally if Tobes and I approved them we would go to the next step which we called (laughs) running the gauntlet this was awesome to do it was the most confronting and also the most I guess out of left field sort of HR hiring process but it was so so valuable because what it basically was was an opportunity for the applicant to meet all of our team and for the team to all have buy-in as to whether or not we made this person an offer. So there was a process for that as well. And I'm just going to find it here. Okay. We would invite them to run the gauntlet and would explain that it's only going to be like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, longer if, if need be, but potentially shorter, but around about that. And there was four parts, basically. First was we, we introduced them, explain who they are, why we like them, what role they're being considered for. And then we would get the applicant to tell the team about themselves. So it could certainly cover their technical skills, but what they've done in the past, their hobbies, basically five minutes or so to talk about themselves so that we could basically see if we felt we liked them and trusted them and wanted to work with them. Then they talk about this specifically their work. So they show us examples of stuff they've done. They talk through the technical side of things because that was really good because you could see like a designer sitting down and telling us as a group why he or she decided to do this on this particular project. Same for developers. So we could get an understanding of how they operated. And then our team each introduced themselves to the applicant. So say there was eight people would go around the the room and Leslie would introduce herself and then Sam would introduce himself. And so the applicant got a feel for the actual people that they would be working with because, again, we need to put our best foot forward because A, players are getting job offers from lots of people. They're getting headhunted. So we want to prove or demonstrate what it's like to work with our team so that they're more likely to accept our offer if they pass the gauntlet. So once everybody's introduced themselves, then it's Q&A time. And this is really fun because if it's, it's a chance to ask technical questions, it's a chance to ask about hobbies and life outside of work and anything you want really, and also the applicant's chance to ask us about anything like, you know, the perks or how we do certain things or what projects we've worked on or what types of clients. You know, it's, it's anything goes Q&A, open forum. And it's really cool because it, it's a, such a powerful way to finish a hiring process because then what we do is we have a anonymous voting running the gauntlet. They, they vote on whether they want to work with this person. And it's got to be a unanimous yes for that person to get the job offer. So if one person in the group gets a bad vibe about the person or thinks, you know what, this person just doesn't sit right with me, I'm going to put a no, then that person is 
not considered. They're out of the running. So they've really, so it's, it's full team buy-in, you know, mm. and that prevents challenges down the track when they say, oh, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't hire this person. Well, it's like we all agreed that this was the right person. You've actually said, yes, we'd like to hire them. And it worked really, really well. Yeah, so that's basically the running the gauntlet process. Everybody basically say yes. If it's unanimous, yes. Okay, then we make the person an offer. Yeah, love it. I think, I mean, the biggest thing is I can almost imagine this like a funnel. You're putting applicants or potential people in at the top. Each stage that goes down, you're filtering further and further and further till you're left with a handful of candidates. Um, typically, like let's say you're interviewing for a particular position, how many candidates would you like to be interviewing look if it's if it's the cultural interview and they're running the gauntlet like the in-person yeah. ones maybe three or four yep you know because you might get 20 or 30 applications but we can whittle that down to three or four to actually come in yep yeah that makes sense and one thing that we actually introduced after well because people go on their probation period typically and whether they're a contractor or you know, typically an employee would go on a probation period, but we would introduce the same type of thing for, for contract roles as well. But after that three-month probation period, what we would do is actually run the gauntlet again. So all yep. having actually worked with the, 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 the colleague yep. for three months, we would then do that voting thing again. Everybody would need to be a unanimous yes for us to turn that to go from probationary period into full-time employment. So again, people had buy-in, they had their say, and they could actually accept or reject a person coming on board with a team. So it was, it, was a, it was kept really quite tight and it wasn't just top-down saying you've got to work with these people, everybody having buy-in to work with each other. Yeah, which makes perfect sense because... I mean, business is all about people. You can't do it on your own. You've got to get best people. Um, it gets everybody else to operate at the next level because if you've got a, a B player, it tends to drag everybody down. So if everybody's high performing, everybody's bought in, then, I, yeah, I can, I can see now how Blue Wire grew quite strongly. The bit Once you've made the selection, you would then have some sort of offer or something that you would send out to the candidate or how, how would that happen? Would you jump on the phone and say, hey, you're awesome. When can you start for the probationary period? Yeah, basically there's, if they're successful, they would get certain emails, phone calls and documents. And if they're unsuccessful, same deal. They get a phone call to let them know, a documentation sort of saying thanks. But um, we've chosen somebody else. And yep. yes, so that would be a set process as well with you know them coming in to, to start at some point in the future, which is kind of the next step. So that's like the attraction and hiring part. But let's now, so let's look at how we would go about working out how to pay them and where they sat on the organisational sort of hierarchy. Because one of the challenges that we found is that in the early days, the pay wasn't exactly fair because sometimes if we were desperate to get, say, a developer onto a project, and they were, say, you know, at a certain level, but we were desperate or they were getting offers from another company, they might say, well, look, we're getting offered 20 grand more to go to this job and you're only offering us this, so I'm going to have to take this one. So we'd go, oh, okay, well, we need you. You seem like a good, a good fit. We've got this work we need to do. And so we'd pay them, say, 20 grand more than someone else at the same technical mm. ability or the same level. And it didn't quite, wasn't quite fair. 
So what we introduced was a organizational hierarchy system. So everywhere from a junior associate, we had then associate one, two, three, four, and five, senior associate one, two, three, four, and five, manager one, two, three, four, and five. And so at each level, there was a pay range, whether it was Mm. a full-time salary or a day rate, and there was certain expectations based on whether they were like a graduate, intermediate, advanced, or industry expert. And so it was quite transparent. Everybody knew what level everyone else was on. So you might get taken on as an associate two, as a developer. So everybody knew that if you're an associate two, you were on somewhere in that forty to $45,000 plus super range. So it, was, it wasn't the exact salary, but people knew roughly within $5,000 per annum what the other people were on and what level they sat at and what level they were performing at. Okay, so that's why we ask those questions in the interviews and the application form is demonstrate why you feel, what level you feel at for these particular core values because that would help us work out what level to put them on. And so we would start them off at a certain level and at performance reviews, we would then look at how they had performed against the criteria that were clearly laid out. So I mentioned earlier that we were very big on core values because that sort of binds the organisation together. So in our performance reviews, we would actually go through and they would rate themselves and Toby and I would rate them as well and would sit down at a formal performance review and compare notes. So if they thought they were a five, like if they thought they were exceptional at the different categories um, that we were assessing them on, and we thought they were, if we thought they needed or required development, we could discuss that with them. But very often our take on them was fairly similar to their take on themselves. And you could actually see if they were getting a whole bunch of, of fives, then uh, as in they were doing an exceptional job at that level, then that would often be a reason to promote them up the food chain, up a rung. And that was a whole new set of expectations in terms of their performance, but an increase in salary as well. So rather than the challenge that you often hear about within organizations of people just getting stuck on the same level, no reviews, no check-ins with their managers, and they get fed up and after a year or two with no reviews or acknowledgement, they go, well, I'm going to head off to another company. They've offered to pay me more. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, okay, well, we'll pay you more too. We had small incremental promotions and pay rises that corresponded to their progress and we found that was so much more effective than just trying to drag them back when they threatened to leave you know six months 12 months down the track i love that one that's something that we put into place as well with it we have like a six monthly review to kind of let them know where they're going and then we have the annual review which goes just before the rate review and the good thing about that is it kind of has them There's a level of expectation there. And sometimes some people feel funny talking about the topic of money and, you know, they think they should be paid this or that. If there is a formal structure in place, it makes it much easier for them to go, well, this is the right time to have that discussion. And then just similarly to the way that you have the different grades, we'll also have, depending on how they've performed, they would get either meet expectation and they'd get a a minimum increase or exceeded, then they would get the minimum plus potentially a bonus as well. So, yeah, I love the thinking and that structured process just 
puts everybody on the same page. You're right, because a lot of people find it awkward to take their manager or supervisor aside and say, look, I want to have that conversation about money. You haven't given me a pay rise. It's an uncomfortable conversation. But if you know that every six months you're sitting down and actually going through set out criteria and you get to argue your case and, and oftentimes they might be a bit humble and a modest and, and Tobes and I would be giving them fives and they'd be giving themselves three. I'll say, no, you're doing a lot better than that. So we'll give them a promotion, you know, even if they hadn't necessarily come to the meeting expecting that. So we found that worked really well. And the other thing that we did was informal reviews at six monthly intervals, but sort of in between time. So every quarter yeah. it was like formal review, informal review, formal review. Now the informal review was very informal. We would basically, go, it was a meeting, it was in the calendar, but we would basically talk to them about what was nourishing them, what was draining them and what they were looking forward to. So basically they could have an opportunity to say, you know, this stuff is dragging me down. I don't enjoy it. This stuff nourishes me and I'm really looking forward to this particular project. <clears throat> so it was their opportunity just to have a conversation with, with Toby and myself. No, very rarely did we take notes or minutes at these informal ones, um, whereas we would always keep records of the formal reviews. And basically they could, they could come with any questions. We could, we could basically just listen. So the informal reviews was very much letting the staff member talk because, again, at a lot of companies, the founders or the bosses or the managers, they're, you know, they're too busy running around doing stuff. It's hard to get some time with them. It's hard to get in their ear. And often problems can fester because they haven't had the opportunity to discuss them. That's one of the great values of uh, an informal uh, review. And, again, for retaining these A players, we would have like a weekly, it wasn't essential, but a weekly coaching conversation. So Tobes, as CEO, this is part of his role, he would actually just have a time for a five or 10-minute, maybe 15-minute phone call each week with each person. So Thursday afternoon, he might just call them up. So how's everything going? And no set structure, to, oh, a very loose structure. Instead of just having small talk every, every Thursday, we wanted to have a tiny bit of structure but have it free to then go where it needed to. So it's basically how's everything going based against, I guess, your scorecard and what you've told me you like doing. So it was a loose structure. They could explain how they were making progress. They could explain where they were facing um, bottlenecks or challenges. And Tobes could just maintain that communication with them and, and help either remove bottlenecks or help them get towards where they wanted to be going. So those yeah, weekly coaching conversations were really valuable as well. Yeah, perfect. Yep, love it. Cool, cool. So that is... Just checking, I've covered off most of the stuff here. That is most of the high-level systems and processes that we would go through in those years, documents for, for each and, you know, the specific questions, which would be very for each different organisation. That's the process that we would use to hire. So one, what did for the performance reviews, the formal ones, that was, again, it was Google Forms or Google, um, you could use whatever survey yeah. tool you like, but each staff member got to assess the other team as well. So, again, because Tobes and I were non-technical, it was a 360-degree review. I should have mentioned that earlier. So everybody, everyone goes through and assesses myself, everyone goes through and assesses Toby, 
uh, Leslie, Sam, whoever was in our team, we would each go through and have to do it for everybody else. And then so we would collate a lot of that information as well to see if there were any uh, challenges or any things we weren't picking up on. Everybody got their say and it was anonymous, but it could identify problems nice and early so we could address them as well. But that was a 360 review, including uh, on ourselves. So it was quite confronting at times. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's good to do that anonymously <laughs> so everybody just gets that uh yes uh, unbiased uh, happy to just tell it how it is type of feedback which is good i'm wondering because i know there's actually probably a few things we can go quite deep in i feel like we covered the attraction section quite well and we'll uh, help to document this out and then we'll have some of the supporting docs that go through i know you might have had another piece we think about doing for the retaining i'm actually wondering whether or not this because this almost feels like it'd be a perfect little standalone piece and we might even have a part two or a follow-up afterwards because what we went through there that was solid so I, i'm not too sure if there are any other particular things that you wanted to cover off for that piece ah uh, yes two more things that I've, I've got written down that i didn't say so You know, a lot of times when people leave a company, they get a gift and everybody says, thank you for your two years of wonderful service to the organization. They get like, you know, a a goodbye lunch and a bottle of wine or a present or something. We do that at the start. So on day one, when they join us, we have a welcome lunch. So we pick a restaurant or we people decide what food to order in and we spend the lunchtime breaking bread, eating with this new staff member. So instead of waiting to the end of their tenure, we do it right at the start. So that kicks things off on a really nice note. And the second thing we do is we send a bottle of champagne and a card to their home address so they get it at the end of their first day. Many of them have partners. Even if they didn't, we would say, look, here's a bottle of champagne to celebrate your first day at work. We hope you had a good time, here's to enjoy tonight or at some other, at some other time with your partner or on your, you know, with your friends or whatever. So they'd come back to that after their first day and, again, would rather show them the love at the start rather than at the end when it seems like an, an afterthought. So they're two powerful techniques that were part of our process that the team members really enjoyed. I think that part two might almost be because some of the things you touched on towards the end there really is then around the the retention of A players, having a really good culture and some of the structures and processes you put in place to make sure that they're performing, even things like the pay review and things like that. So that's probably maybe the the next session we'll need to do or if we decide to dig a little bit deeper would be to have another session where we kind of maybe go into uh, the retention and, and looking after staff because you invest so much to find them, onboard them and train them. And oftentimes it takes time for a team member to be working with you three, six months, 12 months till they really get into their groove and then start really performing. So it's yeah, once you've got the right person, you, you want to keep the right person as well. Yeah, and, and, and what they're looking to achieve can change, especially if you do look after them or it's not about looking after them in terms of like perks or money. It's really listening to them and understanding how they're making progress and what's most meaningful to them and sort of getting out of their way and getting other stuff out of their way. If if people have been with you, say, for five or six years, what originally drew them to your company from a technical point of view or a cultural point of view might have changed quite a bit. They might see themselves going into a different type of role. So outlining certain career paths and having the processes to actually listen to them and map out 
the next stages of their journey is really important for that retention piece as well. Oh, I feel like we've wet the appetite for part two. So just, yeah, thank you for being very generous with the ideas and explaining the process in quite detail. I know it's going to be really helpful. Someone can really just use this as a framework and that's what a lot of these sessions are about. Take this as a framework on somewhere where to start and then you mould it, customise it and then make it your own because the person listening to this will probably have little ideas and tweaks and quirks on the way that their company culture works and the type of work environment but this is like a really solid foundation. Yeah, and each piece of this can go a lot deeper and can be tweaked and you can put your own flavour on it. So take it as a system and a process and then uh, do it your own way. If people want to find out a little bit more, like I said right at the start, I know you, you've got some different templates and processes that you give away. Best place for them to go? Okay, so the website is bluewiremedia.com.au. So blue like the colour, wire like you plug into the, the computer back in the day, uh, and media, bluewiremedia.com.au. And on the homepage there, you'll see a big, button download our 33 marketing templates you pop in your email address they're free and you can actually you know co-brand them rebrand them do whatever you like we've released them under creative commons which means it's a gift and you can even use them commercially if you want so that's our gift to anybody that comes to the website perfect well thank you again and yeah i'll put all the details so people can click straight through so we'll continue with the business system summit thanks dave just been listening to the system hub podcast remember we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now